as as Dave Caldwell calls you the second most attractive man ever to play for Chesterfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would have to say that, wouldn't he? <laughs> Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Legends of the Spire. I am, as always, sat on my old Saltergate seat in the garden uh, to introduce the podcast. Uh, and I think this is number 62, I think, of the former players and managers that I've spoken to. Um, and this week, to celebrate that, we have uh, a top 10 appearance maker on the podcast as I spoke to Andy Kowalski. Now, Andy was at Chesterfield throughout the whole of the 1970s and for a good chunk of the 1980s too, so lots and lots to talk about. Uh, he played under, what, half a dozen different managers alongside loads of different legendary players and made hundreds and hundreds of appearances. Uh, so I tried to kind of briefly touch on most of that uh, in the hour that I had to chat with him. It's also the 50th anniversary of him first joining Chesterfield in December this year, so I felt like a really good opportunity to talk to him as well. And it just feels at the moment with Mike Jones playing that pivotal role in the Chesterfield midfield uh, that it's great to have a kind of holding midfielder on there. The, the position that holds the team together and we've had a good fair few of them over the years of which Andy Kowalski is right up there at the top. As always I am at Spire Legends on Twitter if it's around for much longer and Instagram and Legends of the Spire on Facebook so it'd be great to hear from you and if you can like, share, comment, retweet, subscribe, whatever it is you can do on whatever platform uh, you're listening or watching on that would really help to uh, spread the word of all those players that I've spoken to over the last, what, two years that I've been doing this podcast. So here we are with this week's episode of Legends of the Spire, and it's a proper top 10 legend as I spoke to Andy Kowalski. Take us back right to the, to the start then when you first started kicking a ball. So when so where did you kind of uh, grow up and supporting and idolising and all that stuff? Yeah, well, I suppose some of it is told to you because you can't remember some of it when you're mm. sort of younger than four years old, uh, apparently. And um, my mum and dad, my father came over from Poland after the war, Second World War. And uh, so it was a tough time. You know, my mum had already got a little girl uh, with my father and then I came along. And then uh, there were four more after me. So um, I think they were in sort of lodgings with another old guy who bought me my first football when I was about three years old, just kicking mm. around in the backyard, you know. So, um, and that was in a little uh, mining village called Langworth, where um, there's a fella called Ken Wagstaff who uh, was a hero at Mansfield and also a hero at Hull City. Um, lived, uh, you know, in, he was from Langworth as well, you know. Mm. So I think sport was a, 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 one of the biggest things for release for a lot of the workers in those days, uh, mm. in the 50s, uh, when I grew up. And, uh, you know, uh, everybody had a football or hoped they'd get a football of some sort. And uh, that's what men did. They played football at the weekend and cricket in the summer, I suppose. And that was their social life. And the rest of the time, they were in the working men's club, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so who did you, did you get to go and kind of watch football when you were younger? Yeah, my, my father used to take me to watch Mansfield Town, dare I say, on a Chesterfield podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, um, 
I, he, he would take me to Mansfield on a Saturday. I'd go down on the barrier and he'd be somewhere at the back, you know, probably in the bar and uh, uh, I'd find him after the game, you know, mm. mingling through people's legs and trying to find him, you know. Um, so that was in the 60s, which, uh, you know, you meet up with some of the players that you watch as a sort of seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old boy uh, who were playing at that time in the 60s uh, through either work or social or whatever. And mm. it's great just to get together with those people at that time who were your boyhood heroes at that time, Mansfield Town, where they, were, uh, they beat West Ham in the FA Cup. I was there, you know, on the night. And it was a, Bobby Moore was playing for sort of West Ham. They just played in the World Cup and everything. So <laughs> it was, a, you know, an immense victory. And uh, it just makes you want to be a footballer basically yeah it's all i ever wanted to be a footballer you know and it was a great time obviously to be a uh to be watching football wasn't it going into a world cup oh yeah uh, well, kind of yeah it's uh yeah it was amazing times. i mean um as a 13 year old when man when uh, england won the world cup um everybody was talking about pele being one of the youngest players at 16 17 to play in the world cup and I thought, well, I'm 13 in four years' time. I could play in the World Cup for England. Mm. You know, that was the mindset that you had as a young kid. Uh, it never happened, you know, but uh, they, that was how you thought. Mm. Um, you you were just obsessed, obsessed with the game, you know. Bobby Charlton, you know, all the players, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. And, and you actually played for the England boys' clubs, Side, yeah. is that right? What was that all? Uh, yeah. Explain to me what that was about. Yeah, that, that was... Uh, I, I played my youth football at Welbeck uh, Colliery Youth Youth Club and um, we had a good side in the day. And um, then there was the Nottingham Association of Boys Clubs. And then from there, there was the England Association of Boys Clubs. So, uh, you know, I managed to get into the England side. We um, had a, a tour of... Uh, Germany, well, when I say a tour, uh, we stayed in a place called Lübecker in Germany and uh, played, you know, several uh, representative games. Uh, we played against Ireland National Association of Boys Clubs and Scotland National Association of Boys Clubs. So, you know, we probably only had a handful of games, but, um, you know, to get there and, you know, you, you got your cap and everything. So um, that's, that's when I started to develop more as a player. When I was sort of 17, 18, um, I was one of those lads that uh, I was very skillful, though I said myself, up to being sort of 14, 15. And then my body stopped developing, if you like. And you got bigger lads playing against you, knocking you off the ball. And um, I didn't, you know, I lost a couple of years physically. And then I started to come back with sort of 17, 18. Um, and that's when. Uh, coming out of the youth league at 18, I went to sign a, uh, a club called Alfred and Town, which were in the old Midland League. Mm -hmm. And um, a gentleman there called Alf England uh, saw some potential in me because he signed me for Alfred and Town. And we had a pre season friendly with Chesterfield, and obviously they saw something in me. And um, the next thing, I was going to uh, train at Pitt Street at Eckington with, uh, with Chesterfield, you know, sort of amateurs, if you like. The, lads that were uh, hoping to get in, in through the back door, if you see, because at that time there were apprenticeships when you were sort of 15, 16, 
uh, which I missed out on, obviously. Uh, mm. But, uh, you know, there's always an opening if you're good enough to get back in there, you know. It's great, isn't it, when people impress on uh, in those pre-season friendlies and things. We've just had it this this season yeah. with Uchig Bulam playing for Matlock one yeah. one night and then a few days later is yeah. playing and now scoring for Chesterfield. It's it amazing, is, and that's it? what I always say to lads that have been with football clubs as youth players and then sort of get, you know, pushed out or, you know, told that they're not good enough or whatever. But if you've got a belief in themselves, there are ways back into it, you know. Um, I know it's a little bit different now these days, but uh, there's so many players, I think, develop certain things at different times. Mm. You know, it's not just a physical uh, and skill game. It's a mind game as well. And it's those cogs clicking in your head uh, that piece things together on the pitch. You know, it's not, you know, it's not just about being, you know, being able to dribble and it's seeing, it's seeing the whole game and seeing the picture, you know. So where were you playing on the pitch then? Uh, at that uh, time? I, I was mainly midfield. Um, you know, I mean, um, I think that goes back to when I was like at school, you know, playing at sort of seven, eight, nine years old. Um, I, I sort of played centre-half um, for the school team because I felt that I could see everything in front of me um, and I could sort of control things and know where to go and, um, we were very successful as a, that sort of youth team. And I think that developed later on. I became just a holding midfield player, mm. um, you know, supporting the defence and supporting attack, you know, just uh, seeing things on the pitch. This is, a, I think, Frank Barlow, when he was, somebody asked him something about me and uh, he said uh, Andy was great at occupying space. <laughs> and, and, and what he meant was that, when we were attacking and the ball was going to get knocked out, I had an idea where the ball was going to get knocked out too. You know, um, you get a, a, a knowledge of football and so you could sort of be there and, you know, set the move back up again and get it, mm. keep keep pressure on and that sort of thing. Well, and the key players, aren't they? They're not the players that necessarily yeah. get the... Uh... Uh, well, get the notice they deserve. Sometimes the players that get the adulation, and it will always will be, and always you know, is, are your strikers, you know, really your goalkeepers, and uh, you know the midfield players that get in the box and score goals, Frank Lampard's, and you know the ones you look at when Forest, Nottingham Forest, were very successful. Uh, John McGovern, he was in that team, you know, week in week out, but he didn't get the plaudits that yeah. uh, maybe John Robertson was getting, and. Gary Bertels and, you know, these guys up front, you know, but he was there week in, week out doing a great job. And the great thing is that sometimes the watching supporter just follows the ball around the pitch. Uh, you know, his eyes are where the ball is. They don't see anything off the ball that's happening, uh, particularly. Some do, don't get me wrong. Uh, but a guy called Len Badger that I played with who joined Chesterfield when Joe Shaw came in, and uh, great guy, Len, and he said to me, he was a lovely guy, great uh, analyst in a way, and he said, Andy, he said, you'll never educate a crowd, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and he was right, you know, because they just see the game different to how you see it. But when you get your own players saying, we want you in this side because we know what you do and what you're good at, it speaks volumes for you, you know. Yeah, and, and definitely from when I was 
watching Chesterfield uh, and and kind of Mark Allott was in the Chesterfield midfield for a long time. Yeah. Didn't always get the uh, the plaudits he deserved because he yeah. kept things yeah. simple, intercepted balls. And we've got it now with yeah. Mike Jones as well in midfield. Yeah. Just kind of coming yeah, in yeah. and started doing that job, hasn't he? Which is yeah. Yeah, important. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, so you then joined Chesterfield. So it was under Jimmy McGuigan, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like that kind of introduction into into the club? Well, the great the great thing was was getting sort of associated with Chesterfield and playing and training, um, and it was difficult for me because I had no car. My father had got no car, and I was working in Mansfield. And I used to have to get to uh, Pitt Street at Eckington for training on a Tuesday and Thursday, depending on what games we got. So, you know, uh, I was trying to catch a bus from Mans, you know, from Nottingham Road in Mansfield down to the main. Uh, station in Mansfield and then getting a, an express bus uh, to Sheffield and getting off at the bottom of uh, Renishaw. I don't know if you know these areas. It's, uh, yeah, David, it's, but, it's... Uh, and I used to basically run to get up to training in time from the bottom of Renishaw right up to Pitt Street, which is a hell of a way if you've ever walked it or run it. And I get to the dressing room and a, the, the coach at the time, the trainer Harold Roberts, he said, come on, they're out on the pitch. I said, what are we doing? He says, oh, we're going to run. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I've just done one, you know. <laughs> so, um, and then when I got back into Chesterfield after training to get a bus back to Mansfield, by the time I got back to Mansfield, there was no bus back to the village where I live, Church Warsaw. So I'd, I would have to thumb it, walk it. Um, what I used to do was go into this little uh, cafe bar that was open, and I used to go in and see if I knew anybody. Or just say, is anybody going back to Warsaw? You know, can you give me a lift? And, you know, stuff like that. So, so yeah, um, Jim McGuigan signed me as pro. Uh, I was playing, obviously, for the reserves and everything. And we uh, we had a game. We played against Doncaster. And uh, I went. I knew I'd played really well. I went in after the game. And uh, I know I was playing well at that time. And uh, Harold Roberts' coach says, uh, the manager's in the corridor wants you to go out and have a chat with him. Which, you know, um, was quite emotional as I speak to you now. Um, I thought, crikey, this, is, this could be it, you know. And I went out into the um, corridor and he said, uh, in his Scottish accent, and he always reminded me of Sean Connery because mm-hmm. um, he was of that era. He always immaculately dressed and uh, he said, son, come and see me on Saturday morning uh, about joining the club on professional forms. And, uh, you know, that was it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was amazing, you know. And so on the Saturday for the home game, I went in to see him before the game and had a chat about what he could offer me and all the rest of it, which was way below what I thought football has got. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I said, I'll think about it and everything. And, uh uh, if it had given me the form there and then I would have signed it, you know, but uh, yeah. So it was fantastic, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I had massive respect for him, massive. And and the, and the thing is when we played in the Northern Intermediate League as uh, like under 19s, which I was, you know, 19 then, um, on match days, you could go in the dressing room, you know, before the kickoff uh, and see the players getting you know, ready for the game and mm. all the little rituals and 
someone to have a chat with you and everything, you know, it was, uh, it, it was amazing to get into that dressing room, really. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I signed, I signed pro in, well, it's coming up 50 years in December this year. Brilliant. Which there, doesn't seem 50 years, but, hey. You know, <laughs> God. Were there any players Pretty that kind well. of took you under their wing a little bit when you kind of first... The players? The club? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well... They they would come and have a word with you, and I just remember David Pugh um, coming over to me and sitting with me and having a chat, and he said, uh, "You're a really good footballer." He said, "You are a really good footballer." He says, "But the only trouble here is," he said, "the training. All they do is run you. You never see a ball." And it was true, you know. All they seemed to want to do was run and run and run and run you. Gave you stamina, but you never saw a ball from Monday, probably Thursday morning. If you're lucky, you saw a ball, <laughs> uh, which you know was strange, really. Having yeah. been a kid and all I'd ever did went on the street and down the gentle and knocking ball off the wall and back to me and controlling and all that, you know. But thankfully, it's changed these days, you know. You got on the pitch on a Saturday, and uh, sometimes you were fatigued, you know. It's, Shouldn't be like that. No, you know. shouldn't, should it really? <laughs> there's a great but, picture of uh, there's a great picture of Jimmy McGuigan on a trampoline. I don't know if you've ever seen. It. I think it was a few years before you joined, but he's yeah. bouncing up and down on this trampoline with all the players yeah. kind of looking around at him. <laughs> yeah, Which, uh, it, it not, looks I, like. A, a I've good not guy. seen that, but he was an advocate of uh, yoga. Hmm. Um, he, he he said it was the, one of the best things that any athlete could do, and we used to have yoga sessions regular. Uh, before training, which uh, just stretching and different positions, you know, and um, it did give your body such great, you know, suppleness and everything. Yeah, it was really, it was really good on that. Westerfield opened the scoring with a goal by Colin Tart after 20 minutes. Two minutes later, Chardon were level with that goal there by Keith Peacock. After 26 minutes, it was Charlton again. The ball coming to Tyburn on the right. His cross is touched in by Robinson, 2-1. Then a spectacular free kick by Bobby Flabel. Leveled the scores at 2-2. Into the second half. And a corner's touched on. And superb finishing there by Flanagan to make it 3-2 to Charlton. On the hour, Colin Tart scored his second goal of the night with a right-foot shot there from the edge of the box, 3-3. But Charlton got their noses in front again through Robinson at 4-3. Chesterfield then equalised for the third time in the evening with a header there by Walker. But the final word was with Charlton. There was a little bit of a doubt about whether their fifth goal was offside, but you'll see here as the ball comes forward, the referee on the right-hand side of the picture is well-placed, rules no offside, Peacock goes through to score, and round off a truly amazing night. When I broke into the broke into the team at the end of that 72-73 season, uh, we'd got a couple of injuries. Albert Holmes had got injured, and I think Kenny Tyler was injured. And uh, basically, I got a call because uh, there was a game that night, and we used to go in and play head tennis before we started training over the uh, railings at uh, the. Um, uh, is it Compton Street and and uh, and uh, St Margaret's Drive? There was a, a railing that divided the two sections, and we used to play head tennis over there. And I was playing head tennis, and Jerry Clark came around and said, "Andy, the gaffer wants a word with you." And 
And he said, you know, can you play right back at Scunthorpe tonight? You know, and I, I would have played anywhere, <laughs> basically. And uh, it was amazing, you know. Um, and we won that game, didn't we? We won uh, one nil. It, one well, nil, clean sheet. We, yeah, Ray <laughs> McHale scored. Um, yeah, we, we were in a relegation battle, obviously, at that time. And uh, it was, I think, Scunthorpe were down there as well. So uh, not the most uh, salubrious place to make your debut, Scunthorpe, at the old showground. But, hey, it didn't matter, you know. Mm. So what, what so, was it like, that playing that first game then? Well, there was excitement. Um there was a lad that got into the side as well, Steve Downs, who I'd played in a game with um, sort of a, the week before and I'd played up front with him and he, I think he scored two or three goals and we beat all City reserves and I'd had a really good game and he'd had a good game and it got him back into the first team, Steve. And so he was saying, oh, you'll be all right and, you, you know, this, that and the other and same when he made his debut and all the rest of it. And he says, you'll be fine. Just listen to the players and uh, just do what do what you want to do. You know what I mean? Just do what you know. And, and Jim McGuigan was like that. He just said, listen to the players, talk around you just, and just play your own game. And it, it was just exciting, you know. I think we went for a stake before the game and, um, you know, it, it, um, it was a fantastic feeling. Absolutely amazing. A friend of mine, um, I rang him up at work and said, look, I'm making my debut tonight. And he came over to Scunthorpe and a couple of mates, you know, watched me make my debut, basically, you know. And, and you kept your place in the team, didn't you? So you played like the last 10 games that season, didn't you? I played you? the last 10 games. I played five at fullback um, and five in midfield. And Jim McGuigan was absolutely brilliant with me. Um he, he just said, when I played in midfield, he said, just play how you see it. Don't don't worry. He says, when I make a team talk, he said, don't you bother listening to it. You just go out and play how you play in midfield. You mm. Just do that. That's all I want you to do. Just play how you play. Because at that time, I would get up, get back, you know, see things, whatever. And he didn't want to fill my head up with anything. Mm. And this, the sad thing was that at the end of that season, he went to Rotherham, as you know. Mm. And it left me a little bit, um, you know, not in the lurch, but having like a, a guy there who believed in me totally, um, then going. Um, Joe Shaw came in, but uh, he did write me a letter, Jim McGuigan, because I wasn't even on the phone at home. I lived at mm. home. Um, we didn't have a phone. And he wrote me a letter, really nice letter saying... Um, I shouldn't really be contacting you, you know, uh, but he says, uh, I'm sorry to say that I'm going to Rotherham United. I'm trying to get you uh, over to Rotherham with me, um, but the club wouldn't hear anything of it because I was like a new kid on the block, if you like. I played 10 games. I was playing really well. We had a, we had a player on loan from Sheffield Wednesday, a guy called Jackie Sinclair, and he was at Sheffield Wednesday and... Uh, one of the games, I think it was nearly the last game of the season against Bristol Rose, I think they got promotion. He said, uh, Derek Dool is coming today to watch you. You know, <sighs> you know, crikey, you know. And that was, uh, it was a shame the, the season ended when it did, mm, in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was on a massive high and in a great place and then McGuigan went and it, it, it just seemed to change, the dynamics changed for me to some extent. Mm. 
Yeah, because I suppose it must have felt a bit like going back to the having to prove yourself all over again with a different manager and you it's just a different to... manager. There were people there that knew me, knew you know I could play and everything. But um, Joe Shaw wasn't a very strong character, unfortunately. He was a lovely guy, and I don't think lovely guys in management survive really. Hmm. Um, and um, some of the senior players and players he brought in were saying, oh, "I'm not going to play there." You know, I'm playing there, and you ended up being a young guy or new into the game, you know, shove you outside on the wide left. And, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't for me. So my game did uh, falter um, till later on that season. And I ended up playing up front because a guy called Frank Large got injured. We were down at Brighton and I went up, up front with Ernie and it gave me a new lease of life. If you like, it gave me a new dynamic to the game and I was up front and I was really enjoying it, you know, so, yeah, you know, um, Jim McGuigan, um, when we used to play against Rotherham, he always found me out and came and had a word with me. And, you know, he used to ring me up, actually, mm. regularly. He, he, he signed Rod Fern. You can probably remember him signing Rod Fern, who was a good friend of mine, Rod. And he said, Rod said to me, he said, Jim's been trying his hardest to get you, you know, and all the rest of it. And he said, but they just won't let you go, um, no matter what. So... You know, you, you you find these things out and everything, but um, you know, don't get me wrong. It sounds like I wasn't happy at Chesterfield. I, I did a little bit at Chesterfield, you know. When when you think, you know, Joe Shaw went, and then Arthur Cox came in, and um, Arthur was uh, a breath of fresh air really because he was a good coach. He mm. put good sessions on with the ball, and we did some good running. Don't get me wrong, and but. Uh, he was very well organised and wouldn't take any crap from players. You know, he got rid of the ones that wanted to, you know, tell people this, that and the other. And, you know, he, he, he turned, he, he did turn the club around. Um, and just unfortunate that uh, he bust the club for money. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's the, uh, I was looking at the, the kind of stats in terms of, you know, games per season and everything like that. And obviously, uh, when Shaw did come in, you kind of, I think in that first season, you played about 20 odd league games, something yeah. like that. But the season after, you played all but one, I think. I think there was yeah, only one yeah. game where I think it was the 4 4 versus Watford or something it was the only game you didn't, uh, really? you didn't play. Yeah. Uh, so you did like become a, like a, oh, yeah. an ever present key fixture in that team, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've never, it's strange, but I've never been one for stats. And, mm. you know, people say, how many games did you play? How many goals did you score? I think later in life, you start looking at things like that. And um, you think, crikey, yeah, I did. And, you know, uh, and yeah, I was never present really pretty much under Joe because I know at one stage I was playing up front with Ernie, then they pulled me back into midfield, you know, uh, because we were struggling. And I think at that time, one of the, greatest games I can remember and enjoyed was we played away at Crystal Palace. Um, and if you remember the winger, Peter Taylor, right winger, played for England and he, he ended up at Tottenham as well. Yeah. Um, they asked me to do a job on him, sort of left-hand side midfield. And uh, I can remember making two goals for Ernie. Um, I scored the last goal myself. And we, you know, we came out 4-1 winners and... Uh, I think Malcolm Allison was manager at Crystal Palace and he even had a word with him when I came off the pitch, you know, mm -hmm. said how well I'd played and everything. And um, 
you know, it, it's things like that that people don't see and you don't really talk about, but, um, yeah. you know, got his fedora on his cigar. <laughs> he just put his arm around me as we're going up the tour and says, good game, son, you know. And that was it, mm. you know. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of makes you see it quite a bit don't you sometimes with people like paul cook and and people like that how they kind of uh yeah. look they're kind of looking for opposition players sometimes after games and like you yeah. say just giving them yeah. a well done and stuff like yeah, that i suppose right. it's always kind of yeah. keeping it, it in is, the mind yeah. isn't it of a list yeah. of players that they might try and yeah. find out one day yeah that's right and sometimes some managers i mean mcguigger didn't sit on the touchline he always sat in the stand um when i was at chessfield um and, uh, you know, in, in that era, I think a lot of the managers did sit up in the stands sometimes. Mm. Got a better picture of the game, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Arthur Cox came in, so it was the 76, 77 season, I think it was. Uh, and, uh, yeah, what was it? so I've, I've spoken to quite a lot of players around that time yeah. with Arthur Cox. Some of the players that he brought in and how he kind of had to maybe change his managerial style a bit maybe because of some of the personalities that he brought into the club uh, yeah. I was kind of interested in what you kind of thought of Arthur Cox and yeah well well Arthur um was great was a great coach but his man management probably wasn't his greatest skill he, he probably treated everybody pretty much the same um and he, he brought Jeff Sammons in uh I mean that you know people when I was there talk about some of the things that happened when Sammy was there because Sam, Jeff had got a pub at that time. Mm. And uh, when Arthur came in, Arthur knew he got a pub and uh, Jeff had often when there was, uh, we'd had a bad result or whatever, and he came to the dressing room after, you know, reading the right attack or whatever, Jeff would just get up and I've got a pub to run, I'm going in the bath, you know, <laughs> and that sort of thing. And uh, there was some strong, they, he did sign some strong characters uh, but he, he did, he did, he did sign some very good players. You know, mm. um, I mean, when we were going for promotion that season, um, it, it worked out bad for me in the fact that he signed Phil Bonniman and I got left out of the side. You know, and um, I'll never forget it because we we'd had a really good run right right along, and we played away at Oxford. And I knew he'd signed Phil Bonniman and I knew he was a midfield player and I knew he scored goals. But he was a different player to, to me. I was just a holding midfield. And, uh, you know, as Cox he said before the game, um, if uh, everybody's playing for the places, I bought players in, everybody's playing for the place, you know. Um, and it was like, if we win tonight, the team will keep the same, you know. But Bill Green, who was the captain, came over to me and said, you know, just because we've signed Phil Bonniman, it doesn't mean that you're going to get left out of the side. And I turned to Bill and said, why are you telling me that, Bill? <laughs> and he says, well, you know, he didn't know what to say. <laughs> um, and on the Saturday, we played against Blackburn uh, at home. And uh, I got I got dropped out of the side and Cox had pulled me in on the Friday. And... Uh, pulled me into his office and he said, uh, I don't know what to say to you. He said, uh, he said, I'll stand up. He says, and I'll, I'll let you punch me straight between the eyes. Mm. And I said, no, I says, 
you got your decision to make. You live and die by your decision, you know. And I said, I played in that team and we're a great group. And, uh, you know, it knocked me for six, you know. Mm -hmm. I said, I just want them to win tomorrow. And, you know, they're a bit of sour grapes, really. Um, and to this day, you know, I talked to Frank Barlow about it. He said he really didn't know what to do, but he'd spent so much money on Phil Bonniman. It was never really disclosed how much, but they say that it was the most uh, paid for a player in on, in that transfer window. That, <laughs> uh, and it must have been getting on for two hundred odd thousand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Frank said, "What you got to look at is how much it cost him to replace you." You know, <laughs> and I said, "Well, yeah, that is a bit of consolation." But yeah. you know, um, but then I was back in the side with. The following game, I mean, unfortunately, we got beat 1-0 by Blackburn, didn't we? And it was, uh, you know, well, in those days, a four-pointer, I suppose. And, mm. uh... A few minutes later, Blackburn's Andy Crawford forced him to make another good save. At the other end, Chesterfield had a good chance. But Alan Birch wasn't able to capitalise on it. In the second half, Chesterfield made an aggressive start, but a promising move was thwarted by Blackburn's goalkeeper, Jim Arnold. From the resulting corner, the ball eventually found its way to Phil Walker, but his shot was just wide. But in the end, it was Blackburn who scored. Simon Garner got the goal, and the score stayed Chesterfield nil, Blackburn one. It was interesting because it was when I went out and I kind of yesterday I went out and said, has anyone got any questions you want to ask? Mm. And the the match that people wanted me to ask you about was uh, the defeat against Blackburn. And and obviously it was Bonnyman and Sturk, wasn't it, that came in? Yeah. Um, Sturk had come in at Oxford. Sturk played at Oxford because he left Colin Tarte out because me and Colin had similar conversations, you know. Mm. you know, call Coxie from, you know, uphill and down Dale sort of thing. But, yeah, yeah. Know, that's football, as I say. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. obviously we only finished, what, two points behind Blackburn, something like that. But obviously they yeah. finished second, didn't they? And we finished fourth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I think because I came back the next game, which was Chester. I think it was Chester. And uh, I got injured. I did my ligaments in my knee in that game. Um, so that was my season done with, more or less. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, me and Arthur had a love-hate relationship. You know, he sent me off, I think, in in little uh, little knockabout games, five-a-sides, when we'd finished training and we played, I think he sent me off twice in, in, <laughs> in, in little five-a-side games, probably because I'm not past doing more, you know, taking the mickey or whatever. But, um, you know... And I think Sean O'Neill once got sent off. He got sent back to the ground for something. But he'd get play, he'd wind players up, and we'd have these games when we finished, and you'd be going in to win the ball. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because there was an incident with me and Les Hunter in a game where we just went into a, a block tackle, and knee and Les knee did all his knee, and it wasn't over the top or nothing. It was just a solid challenge because mm. I wasn't a dirty player, you know, especially in those sort of games as well. All right, you might kick people, you know, in opposition and all this rest of it in that time. But, uh, and, and and you know, I was 
obviously upset that I'd injured Les, but Coxie just said, get off the pitch, get back to the ground, go, you know, and that was it. And uh, he made a thing of it, you know. Mm. And then I went into the physio room when I got back to the ground and Les was on it. I said, Les, are you okay or whatever? He says, yeah, I mean, my knee's bad Andy or whatever. And Coxie came in from the other side and said, you know, get out of here and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I had I had one or two goals with Coxie. Mm. Um, but... Um, it, Coxie liked me in the team, you know, it was only up till we were going for, for promotion that um, I think he wanted, a, you know, another, he needed players, which I quite agreed with. And I knew Phil, I knew Phil because I played against Phil loads of times, you know mm. what I mean? And uh, I knew he was a good player, but he was a different player to me, you know. And mm. when you bring a player that's different, who's, who's looking to score goals, um, it's different to somebody who's holding and, breaking up attacks and you know it's just a different mindset you know mm. you've got more responsibility i feel you know um so yeah it uh i mean you know we're, we're great friends phil and i you know mm. what i mean we had a great great crowd of lads i mean there's always a few stories you can tell you know and uh i mean one of the stories about coxie and i don't know if anybody's told you this story but uh we played away at um wimbledon and we and we stayed overnight on Friday down in near Fulham. And what we used to do, we used to have an evening meal, all the players, management, directors that went, whatever, and they used to take a, a guy called Reg Whitaker down on the coach from the uh, Sheffield Telegraph, Sheffield Star. And um, we went down uh, uh, to uh, stay somewhere around Fulham. And we used to have a meal. And then whoever you, you were rooming with, you used to room in pairs, you know, I think I was with uh, Alan Crawford that that particular trip. And um, we used to have a wander out, have a walk, find a pub, have a couple of halves, not silly drinking, just a couple mm. of beers, help you sleep, you know. And there were about probably four four groups or two, you know, did that. Anyway, this particular night, we'd all gone a walk and couldn't find a pub. And we found a pub. And when we walked in, Jeff Salmon was in with, with the John Ridley. Colin Tart was in with the, uh, oh no, me and Crawford and Colin Tart. There were five of us. And um, so, oh, oh, couldn't find a pub. No, no, we'll be all right in here. We'll be all right in here. Unbeknown to us, as we've all walked in there, Coxie and I think it was um, uh, one of the directors, I forget who it was now, but anyway, we've, he's seen us walk in the pub. So we've ordered drinks. He's come in, just walked up to the bar where we were, looked over between us at the bar, see what we'd ordered, you know, five beers or whatever, turned around and gone, not said a thing. <laughs> so we were youngish pros to some extent. Jeff was a, like, you know, we're all right, sat mm -hmm. the other. Don't worry about it. So we sat down, got this beer down. Said, Come on, we better get going. Jeff said, hang on, lads. We've been caught. We're having another one. <laughs> so we had another beer and went back to the uh, hotel. And, and this was only probably half past eight at night, you know what I mean, nine mm -hmm. o'clock. Went back, went to the room. Frank Barlow came in to me and said, uh, Andy, uh, he wants all five of you in your room at 10 o'clock, Coxie, you know. <laughs> 
So we, there were me, Alan Crawford, Colin Tart, John Ridley. Frank says, where's Sammy? I said, I don't know. So Frank went looking for Jeff Sammons and he was down in the bar having a drink with the uh, Sheffield reporter at the bar. <laughs> so Coxie came in, Sammy was there and he was reading the riot act to us about ripping his contracts up and I've just signed a new player, which was John Turner from uh, Torquay. Uh, what, what, you know, how's it going to look with him and all the rest of it? And uh, Sammy, Sammy just said, hang on, Arthur. <laughs> He's called him on. Hang on, Arthur. He said, you know these lads look after themselves. They train hard. They work hard. They'll give you 100% week in, week out. He says, all they wanted were a little half a beer to make them sleep in the cot at night. <laughs> And Coxie just went, walked out, and that was it. <laughs> and I think we drew with Wimbledon uh, that day, either 1-1 one, one, or 0-0. Nil, nil. And you, you were talking about that season probably when I only probably missed one game. Um, Sheffield Star used to do Man of the Match thing. And I think I came joint winner with um, uh, Alan Little. Or was it his... It was Alan Little and another Little. One played for Villa, one played for Barnsley at the time. And we we were joined to Sheffield Staff Players of the Years, you know what I mean? Because you used to get Star Player of the Week and all the rest of it when you play. So that, things like that are nice, you know. Because yeah. Alan Crawford always used to say to me, I got he got Star Player the season before, I think, we signed him that season. And uh, I keep in touch with Alan Crawford. Um, and one or two of the lads like Danny, Danny Wilson. Mm-hmm. Play golf quite a bit with Danny, um, do a few charity events and everything. So, uh, yeah. yeah, good days. Yeah. What was it like when Frank Barlow kind of then took over? Because well, obviously you'll have played with him, haven't you? Yeah. Well, you know, when you've been at one club and Frank was the man and boy, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, McGuigan signed him and I think Frank had an injury and then went into coaching. And uh, Frank was a great philosopher of the game and uh, I could talk to Frank for, for, for hours about football, you know, great bloke. And um, when he took over as manager, I think I think all the players wanted him to be manager, to be quite honest. Mm. I think because uh, we've got a good group of players and um, we didn't want anything to change, really. I suppose you could look at Leeds United when Puffy went to Leeds. You know, he, he changed things. Mm. And it doesn't work, you know, uh, got to do it gradually. And I think we thought, you know, we wanted Frank to be manager because we all knew Frank, knew he was a good coach, knew he'd been with Coxie um, and got massive respect for Frank, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I wouldn't have wanted anybody else to come in at that time other than Frank, really. But again, Frank was a nice guy as well. And he probably didn't have that ruthlessness in him to make those bigger decisions, I don't know, you know. Mm. Uh, I mean, decisions are decisions. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. So you can be ruthless and make a decision. It doesn't work, you know. It's, uh, as Coxie found out, you know. <laughs> so it's interesting. You all have played under, uh, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, what, about six or seven different managers maybe at Chesterfield, something like that. So who, yeah. who, would, you, who would you... Who did you think you kind of played? Who got most out of you, I suppose, or who did you I like? Would, I would say with? for me, um, that for signing me, Jim McGuigan, you know, 
because he gave me the chance mm. to have a career in football. And he he just uh, let me go out and play football, uh, how I knew, um, which was great for me. And then, and really, I would say Coxie, from a coaching point of view and discipline, you know, um, and I suppose, you know, when you, when you looked at Joe Shaw, like you said, I, I missed one game that season. Um, I must have uh, enjoyed playing under Joe, really. Mm. I think when you're playing well, it doesn't matter who's the manager. It's when you're not playing well, you probably look at why am I not playing well and do you fall out with the manager a bit, a bit? I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, when I look at some of the managers I played under, I mean, Billy Bremner, you know, he didn't, shirk anything he you know um i played at uh, peterborough under john Wyle, who was a center off who was you know ruthless and uh, didn't take any prisoners and that sort of thing so and when you get people offering you you know positions in football um like john Wyle did at peterborough asked me to go back and be his assistant for a season but it was too risky at that time there's no money in football yeah um neil warnock when he went to scarborough um, which was a couple of years before I finished playing, he wanted me to be his player coach. And he says, I'll take you right through football with me. Because he said, this is my stepping stone to football league management. He said, if you come to Scarborough with me, I'll take you right through it. But I found out later on, he said, it's three other players. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, uh, and then when Kevin, Kevin Randall took over at Chesterfield, when John... I think John went to Ipswich. Had he got, mm-hmm. Did he go to Ipswich or finish yeah, whatever? Was, yeah. And Kevin Kevin rang me up and said, Andy, you know, uh, I don't know how you feel about coming back and being my assistant. I said, Kev, you know what? I'd love to, but it's too risky, you know, because he, he said there's no money as such. You know, he says, and I know you've got any financial services and you're probably doing okay. And he says, but so for that, that type of person to want you to be with them, you know, um, again, speaks volumes yeah, for me. Lot, you know. So what so, was it like moving on from Chesterfield for a bit? If well, you were like, what, 12 seasons, maybe something like that? It was, it was a long yeah, time. Well, and then you went to Doncaster. Yeah, I mean, sort of 72 was when I signed pro at Chesterfield. Mm-hmm. And then um, it was 83 when the club had run out of money and basically they had to let players go. And um, it, it was... Strange moving to another club, but I moved with Ernie Moss, Bill Green, and a lad called John Breckin, who was left back at Rotherham, but I knew really well through Alan Crawford, because you just get to know players and go to different venues and matches and you see people. And so uh, we we were like, um, Bremner, Bremner signed us just to, to look after the young lads that he got there, like Glenn and Ian Snodden and David Hall and Billy Russell and Colin Douglas up front and, you know, and, um, you know, and Dave Bentley was his uh, assistant manager, coach, and I'd played with David Chesterfield, excuse me. I knew Dave really well. So um, it was, the transition was easy mm. because as soon as you get to another club, and to be quite honest, you you thought more of by the crowd as well because you knew new player, new, you know, um you can stay at one, one club too long, but, um, you know, keep changing managers and they see something in you. They, they don't let you go, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I also said to Danny, I got your your move your move to Forest. I Birch, I got your move to Wolves, and you know, <laughs> uh, don't don't forget me and all the rest of it. You know what I mean? But because uh, I had a great time with Alan Birch because I knew him when he was at Walsall before he signed at Chesterfield. Um, we used to, we'd had one or two battles already on the pitch, you know. So when he signed at Chesterfield, we knew each other and. Uh, Great character, lovely lad, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, some some great lads that you meet and uh, some of you remember, well, you may remember all of them, but uh, keeping in touch with a lot of them, you don't always remember them, you know. Mm. Yeah. But, but Billy Bremner was a winner through and through. Um, I really enjoyed it at Doncaster. It was really good. Uh, and because we got promotion that first season as well. The strange thing was going back to Saltergate and playing against Chesterfield, Mm. Uh, a night match and uh, I think we won 1-0 and, and Billy Bramley just said uh, they've signed Alan Birch he says you know him just do a job on him he says, that's all I'm saying do what you want <laughs> he says if he scores it's down to you <laughs> it's interesting because I spoke to I spoke to Jamie Hewitt about because uh, I think he went to Doncaster for a season as well oh, it really? was Doncaster he went to and he was saying that it was quite invigorating for him kind of just because you do yeah. become the uh, the fixture in the team, I suppose, for fans, we we yeah. always like a new signing, don't we? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it, I suppose it can be quite invigorating after a while, can't yeah. it? Just to get a change oh, yeah. of scenery. It is, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, just like you, the new player there, or several of us. But and when we had such a good start, um, you know, you're great, aren't you? Mm. That's yeah. it. You, you've done it, <laughs> uh, and we got promotion. So. Um, and I got invited back to Doncaster loads of times, you know, because there was a guy that ended up owning the club or the chairman, like called John Ryan. Uh, mm. He was like a in the executive group of people when I was there. Um, and then uh, when he took over, they moved ground and everything, like Chesterfield did, really. So, yeah, I was with two well-established clubs that both moved grounds similar times in a way. But yeah, yeah, Chesterfield. Um, I became a spiderite. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. I went to the nineteen ninety five. Well, I went to loads of games in nineteen ninety five, the FA Cup games. Went up to Manchester with my daughter um, to see them uh, play Middlesbrough. Um, went to the replay. You know, and there was at the end where the ball went over the line. You know, and oh, you know, you're like. A maniac support, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, calm down, sort of thing. But uh, uh, but that was amazing, you know. Yeah, and no, like you, and I went to Chelsea as well. You know, last season and uh, got got some lads that I play golf with, and the, and the ironic thing, what a lovely story this is. Got these lads who I play golf with some tickets and their sons mm. through the club. Obviously, uh, there were ten of us. And I said, I need all the names and everything of who's having tickets and address and uh, telephone numbers and all the rest of it. And one one lad who was going, was his name was McGuigan. I thought, well, that's ironic, you know, Jim McGuigan and all the rest of it. Anyway, we, we'd gone off to London. I met up with him in uh, in, in London. And uh, this this young lad said to me, he says, Andy, he says, when did you play for Chesterfield? I says, oh, Signed in 1972, 73. He said, uh, my granddad used to manage them. Oh, so, wow. Well, I says, 
who? He says, Jim McGuigan. I says, you're joking. <laughs> and I'm with his, like, grandson, and he says, Andy, tell me about him. He says, because I was born after he died. I wow. thought, well, sad in a way. Yeah, he says, yeah. I've heard stuff about him, but he says, you actually played for him and all the rest of it. So this lad were, like, in awe of me, and I thought, what a lovely thing to happen on that day against Chelsea. You know, um, yeah. Ironic, isn't it, how things come round? Isn't it just, yeah. Isn't it just... Amazing, amazing, you know. And I love Jim McGuigan to bits, but, you know, I said he was always immaculately dressed. Um, we played against Scunthorpe at home, and we're, I think we are 2-1 down at half-time. We won 3-2, and mm. I, I knew I'd played well. And um, just give you a cup of tea at half-time in those days, and you'd have it with proper tea, tea leaves and dregs <laughs> in, your, in your tea. And you used to be able to just lean through a door and there were where you where you had a a wee, you know, trough. Mm. And uh, I thought I'll just lean around and chuck my tea in the trough and get a fresh brew after, you know. This was after the game, and he'd said his bit McGuigan, and I just turned around, chucked it around the corner, and he was stood there having a piss. <laughs> and it, well, his tea dregs went all down his suit. <laughs> I was absolutely mortified. And uh, he just smiled. And he says, the, that might cost you a cleaning bill, Sonny. <laughs> Steve Abley stretched the defence on the right wing. Fullback Charlie Henry was up in support. But it was a cracking first-time shot from Brian Hughes, which beat John Turner. Hughes only played as a late replacement for Gary Emanuel, who was unfit with an ankle injury. But the first corner of the match, only seconds before half-time, saw John Riddler, the Chesterfield Club captain, head the equalising goal. Five minutes into the second half, Dave Windridge laid on the winner. Alan Crawford is the man who makes the late run to put Chesterfield ahead 2-1. And despite mounting Swindon pressure, Turner made three outstanding saves, including one flying effort from Roy Greenwood. So, so you were you did what? I think it was like what, just under three hundred league appearances, two hundred ninety-two. Is that right? I might. Have, uh, I think that's the figure but, I got. Again, on st oh. on stats, I, you know, I don't know, but I, all all somebody told me was I'm in the top ten appearances for Chesterfield. Yeah, I think you're on ninth in the top About ten. Ninth. Top, yeah, top so. ten appearances. So, what's that? Uh, what's that? It must be. That must be nice to have been able well, to play so it, many. It is nice. I mean, you know. To be in the top 10 appearances for a football club um, is a, an achievement in itself. You know, it shows loyalty to one club for, for one thing. And I was, I was granted a testimonial that 82-83 uh, season, you know. But there was, um, I think it was Chesterfield two books, they were on like a three-day week and mining strikes were looming. And you used to go around to pubs and play darts and the have a raffle and you get the money and all the rest of it. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. And I just knocked it on the head. I couldn't do it, you know. And um, so I never had a testimonial game. I think um, I think it's me and Albert Owens um, that did more than 10 years and probably granted testimonials but never had a testimonial match. Yeah. You know, and people say, you, you must have been daft, you know what I mean? But I said, I couldn't. And then I left. 
I thought, you can't go back and say you can have a testimonial, you know. Um, and hey, you know, it, it didn't happen. So so be it, you know what I mean? Um, I, I couldn't, I've never been one to ask for anything, you know what I mean? Never, not only a lift back from Mansu when the bus had gone, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah. If if you did, if you were to have a testimonial, who would you have it against? Um, I, to be honest, I don't. I thought about it years ago. You know, when like friends I've got, like Danny's a big friend of um, Kenny Daglish, and we played against Liverpool in 1978 at Anfield when they had one of the greatest sides ever. Um, and I, w- I would probably get. You know, have a word with people like Danny and say, right, you know, who can we get? And, uh, you know, you'd probably, it's surprising he would come and play because when we finished playing, we used to play for um, Quinny's All-Stars, the charity team. And you got Mel Sterling playing. I mean, at the time, Emlyn Hughes. Emlyn, Emlyn was a lovely guy. Mm-hmm. He, he would have come and played, you know what I mean? If she said to Emily, Emily, I've got a testament, we come play, he'd be there, first man. You know, so when you know players like that, Len Badger, you know, knew Len really well. And you get to know Tony Curry and obviously played with Jeff Sammons and all these people. And um, there's a nucleus of people that you know and, you know, they would be there for you sort of thing. You know what I mean? So Mm. getting a team would not be an issue. And um, it'd be nice to, you know, get some of the old players back, even... (laughs) Even if can only, I mean, I still play a bit of walking football these days, um, which is just for social and still like having a game of football and nutmegging somebody. You know what I mean? It's you still, I'm still like a kid when I play, yeah, yeah, and I'm shouting and bawling at people, um, in a nice sort of way, uh, because I know they can't do certain things, and uh, but it, that instinct of winning stays with you all your life. Mm. I mean. The funny thing is, my dad used to come to the games and uh, my younger brothers and stuff like that. And my mum came one day, you know, because it wasn't a, a scene at all, but she came. He, my dad said, yeah, you should go and see him play football. So I'm playing at Saltergate and I'm mouthing and all the rest of it. And she turned to my dad and she says, is that our Andrew? I can hear swearing. <laughs> <laughs> She always called me Andrew, you see. And, he's, and he just he said he just smiled, you know. She, he said, yes, that's your son, you know. Because you just turned into somebody else on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. You know, you. Um, it's it's just one of those things where uh, you don't realise it yourself, but um, well, maybe you do, but, you know, you you want to win and that's what you're there for and you want to do well and play well and, Team to play well, you know what I mean? It's, mm. uh, yeah, fantastic feelings, really. I mean, I, I, I met up with a, a guy from Doncaster through through my business, and uh, um, this last 12 months, he says, oh, I've got a photograph, Andy, when we beat Queen's Park Rangers in the FA Cup 1 now, you know. He says, it's a great photo. Have you got it? I says, I don't know. I probably have somewhere. Mm. He says, I'll get it here. And he sent me this photograph of us all in the bath, communal bath, and, you know, you look and you think, well, I know Dennis must have, it's about the same age as me or a year older. You know, and I sent a message back to him. I said, it's a great photo. I said, we were the oldest buggers in that team, weren't we? You know, 
And he says, yeah, he says, I thought that as well. Because there were young Glyn Snodding and Ian Snodding who went on to do well. Oh, young lads, you know, youngish. Mm. I, yeah. I bet we could stick you all in the dressing room again today. And I bet within a few minutes it'd be just oh. like you'd never left. <laughs> well, it's, it, and, and I don't want to bore you and, and all no, that, no, no. but, but um, the football thing, you know, Kevin Randall, I wasn't bothered about going and scouting and doing all these match report things, but Kevin uh, knew how I thought about stuff. He got a lot of time for me, Kevin, and he was with Neil Warnock. And you say, Andy, we've got a player out on loan at uh, Stockport or Chesterfield or Nottingham Forest or wherever it might be. We just go and have a look, send us a match report, how he, how he did and what he's done. Or if they fancied a player, you know, can you just go and watch that player and send him what, what you think? And I used to have these conversations with Kevin on a Sunday or a Monday uh, about these players. And he'd say, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And, you know, and we you had the same, you talk the same language to some of the players. And one of the nice things about going back and watching games now is who you might see when you go back. Mm. And sadly, John's not there anymore and Kevin's not there anymore. And um, another guy, um, Mick Jones died recently, who uh, was at Peterborough and with Neil Warnock. And all these people, you know, and were managers and oh, I, Andy, I tried to get, I tried to sign you and I was at Peterborough and all the Coxie won't let you go and all this and he's ready could get more money for you and all these stories, you know what I mean? But we all played the same game and love the game and um, it's infectious and, yeah. you know, partners, wives and all the rest of it and say, do you want to come to the game with me? Well, I would. But you know what's going to happen? You're just going to be talking to them, aren't you, all the time? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's no good me being there. But, you know, and I still get excited about it now. But sadly, mm. Kevin's not there. John's not. You know, I went to John's funeral the other week, which was great because Pat Jennings was there. Who um, I, I saw when I went to watch Mansfield play Watford, and he was in goals at Watford at that time. And I went up to Pat and said, look, you know, you you, you don't know me, uh, but I went to watch you at Mansfield Town um, when you played for Watford. And he said, yeah, that'd be about 1962. <laughs> I said, yeah, it would be, you know. <laughs> and what a lovely fella, you know. Yeah. And Ozzy Ardiles was, you probably know all these people that were there. And, uh, you know, you, you go and you're just talking to everybody after. Don't matter who they are, you know. Um, great. Great stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm fortunate yeah. enough that now I've spoken to, I've had people, the furthest back I've been to was Bennett Steele, who was at Chesterfield in the 50s. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've spoken to Bob Wilson, who was at Saltgate oh, yeah. watching Gordon Banks in yeah. net, kind of his yeah. idol. Yeah. And then I've gone yeah. right through to kind of players that were at the club last season. And it's yeah. interesting, there's there's those, obviously those big things in football that, that where the game has changed and everything, but yeah, yeah. it's obvious that the the memories and the uh, like the camaraderie between the players and those mm. kind of things that make the game so great, yeah, are yeah. all universal and have stayed there for oh, yeah. as long yeah. as the game has been around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know when Coxie was there, particular, and we got us. You know, the team picked itself week in, week out, more or less, unless there was injuries and all that sort of thing. And um, you knew if this, a player had got a problem off the pitch, 
you know, you'd say so-and-so's not right today. What's mm. and then, you know, so we'd pull him and say, What's wrong? What's wrong with you? What's wrong? And and they tell you. You know, our men won't talk and all that. Mm. But we'd see it because we know we'd see a change in, you know, it's like like it's your own brother or your own sister, you know, mm. something's not right. And uh, we'd see it and we'd get it out of them, you know. That's how strong it can be, you know what I mean? So I'd finished, my contract was up at Peterborough and John Wilde said, before you sign anywhere, if you go anywhere else, let me know what you're doing. I said, okay, I will. And then ironically, out of the blue, because I still lived in Mansfield and travelled down to Peterborough. And John Wilde said to me, I know you're a good pro. He said, you don't need to come training every, every day. He says, come through match days and just one other day, you know play squash, do whatever, whatever you want to do, which was great for me. And they didn't have to pay me expenses for travelling. So um, that's what I did. So I got a phone call from Mike Watson, who was chairman at the time at Chesterfield when John was there, when they got promotion and everything. And he said, um, Andy, um, spoke to John Duncan and uh, he wants to sign you. You know, we come in and have a chat with me. Well, I knew Mike really well because he used to get his tickets for the embassy snooker because uh, he was a guy that started yeah. it off. Because that's where, where I first met Emily News, to be quite honest, in the uh, VIP lounge. <laughs> anyway, I says, uh, so I went to see Mike Watson. I says, where's John? He says, oh, it's, John's in Canada with Kevin. They're doing some coaching in Canada. I says, well, I thought John might have rung me up. I said, no, nah, no, he says, he'll let me sort everything out. So I said, okay, then. So he said, uh, when can you get in to sign? I says, well, he said, there's not a lot of money, as you know, blah, 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 but it suited me to go back to Chesterfield. So I rang John Weil at Peterborough and said, look, this is what's happened. He says, all I can offer you, is another year's contract, not much more money, uh, and you'd have to move down here, really. I says, well, you sort me some accommodation out at Clubhouse or something, I'll come down. Money was tight, they couldn't do it. Mm. So I says, look, I'm going to go to Chesterfield. So I signed at Chesterfield, not having, not even spoken to John or Kevin, they just signed and turned up for training on training day. And John pulled me in his office. He says, uh, "Did you want to come and sign?" Then I says, "Well, yeah." I says, "I want, yeah, I want to come back." I says, "Thought you wanted me. I know Kevin, as you know, and all that." He says, "Yeah, Kevin says you're a good lad and all that." He says, "He said it was Mike who wanted you back, you know." <laughs> I says, "Well." If you don't want me, you shouldn't have let me come back. Like, you know what I mean? You should have said, Mark, I don't want him. You know what I mean? <laughs> he says, no, he says, uh, he says, uh, he says, we, we, he, and then he, he says, no, I want you back. So I spoke to Kevin about you. He says, what a good lad you are and all the rest of it. And he, we had a chat for about an hour about family, all about family and my family and his family and just, just talked. I thought, you know, what a great guy, hmm. uh, you know, gave me a great feeling for him because I didn't know him. But once I'd been in with him for an hour, I felt like I really knew him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'd only gone back on cover, you know what I mean? So uh, it suited me. And then I went into financial services halfway through that season. Um, and I said to John, look, I've got an opportunity to go into financial services. And he says, look, do it. He says, as long as you don't interfere with match days and training, I ain't got a problem. So that's what I did. Mm. And it, it was it was 
one of the stories, um, we were playing Mansfield uh, on New Year's Day. It must have been 86, 87 season. I think it was a New Year's Day match and I wasn't in the squad. So, end of my career and New Year's Eve, do I go out? Yeah, I'll be all right. I'll go out. Because I wasn't in the squad. Uh, so, gone out till whatever time, you know, I think it was 12 o'clock kickoff at uh, Field Mill. And, uh, about half past eight, phone. So this is early. Sunday, you know, New Year's Day, half past eight in the morning. Kevin Randall, where have you been? Where have you been? I says, what, Kev? He says, we out last night. We out last night. I says, what do you think, Kev? He says, oh, fucking hell. He says, you, you're sub today. <laughs> So-and-so's gone downhill and this, that, and the other. So he says, whatever you do, he says, don't stink a beer. And don't tell John Duncan you went out last night. I says, yeah, and Pope's a Catholic, you know. <laughs> um, it was one of those stories, you know what I mean? I did go on for half an hour. And I think I think it was a 1-1 draw. I can't remember exactly. But uh, uh, that would just, I says, I, I wasn't even in squad, Kev, you know what I mean? He says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we always used to have a laugh about that, you know. They're just stories that crop up. It's like when you start telling jokes, you go, oh, that one. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can, they start coming all back to you and, you know. But uh, good times, great times. When Danny Wilson was manager at Barnsley, and, and Sheffield Wednesday, because hmm. we were such good friends and we talked about the game a lot. You know, you don't realise how much you're talking about the game to be, these different people. I used to get tickets at Barnsley and Sheffield Wednesday and he, and, he, and then he'd say, come down to the dressing room, after, come down to my office after the game and come in and all the rest of it. And he's, I might have to go and do press and all the rest of it. Hmm. So there'd be one or two people in there and you get to know people and all the rest of it. When he was at Barnsley... Um, they played Arsenal. Arsene Wenger was manager. So after the game, I think Arsenal won about 3-1 or whatever, and Pat Rice came into the dressing room, uh, into the uh, manager's office. There was me, Eric Winstanley, De- uh, Danny, uh, Frank, Frank Bolo, and uh, Pat Rice come, come in. And they used to bring food in after the game into the, into the office, a few chips and a bit of pie and mm. pork pie and sausage, you know. Pat Rice came and he says, hang on, lads, don't talk to me yet. Let me just have some of this food. <laughs> what, are you hungry? Wenger, ah, he says, got him all on diets, pills for this. They can have that diet. They can have that diet. He says, got me on it as well. He says, I can't have nothing. He says, I'm having some of this food here from this pie and chips before I start talking to you. 